I know you all uh, would probably join me in just thanking uh, James, who uh, leads us and has been faithful to lead us uh, from the piano every Thursday morning. And uh, if you really want to fully experience uh, the creativity and uh, passion for worship that James uh, brings to our staff, you're going to want to be here this coming Sunday night. Uh, there's many different uh, groups of people in our congregation who James works with to help them uh, display their gifts uh, in worship. And he has <clears throat> worked with Barton to craft a service this coming Sunday evening, and I'm looking forward to, to being there. So invite you to be there. It's going to be it's going to be a great night. And again, um, get to see James's vision come uh, come forth in that time. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 10 if you haven't done so already. My uh, um, some of you may know the name Ken Davis. Ken Davis was a professional comedian, came to know Christ, and then <clears throat> for a long time uh, worked in youth ministry. Ken grew up on a farm where they had sheep, and uh, the way Kent puts it, he goes, sheep are, uh, sheep are fluffy balls of awkwardness. He says they're not smart, he says they're easily scared, and they're easily, they're easily lost. He said they don't even run right. Uh, when you watch a, watch a sheep, it's like he can't even run straight. He just kind of wiggles to try to get to a place. Um, he said they had a few sheep on the farm that he grew up on. There was this one older sheep that had been with uh, the, the farm for a long time that they had called. They gave him the name Herman. His name was Herman. And <clears throat> Ken said that uh, one day he was doing chores for his father, um, and he was carrying these two heavy uh, pails of water to go and, and put them into the, the feeding trough of a certain area of the farm. And he had to kind of step over this electrified fence that, wasn't, uh, that was meant to... Um, to really burn, burn weeds so that they wouldn't grow and definitely keep the animals from, from getting near the fence. So he was stepping over it with these two pails of water. And as he stepped over it, he said, Herman just hit him from the backside and he fell. And, you know, he said, I got my leg caught. I got, you know, you, you don't, the electrified fence is not going to kill you or anything, but he goes, it hurts. And the water spilled. And he said, I was so mad at Herman. I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to get Herman. Herman, is going to pay for this. And he said later on that day, um, he said, I was by the barn. And he said, you know, Herman was an old sheep and he, you could hear him breathing. He just, <laughs> you know, and uh, he said he saw Herman kind of doing his kind of sideways walk with his little legs like this, you know, and coming towards the barn. And he said, I was looking for something to hit Herman with. He goes, I, wa I don't want to, I don't want to hurt him. I just wanted to let him know, don't ever do that to me again, ever. And he said, I couldn't find anything. So I just, I got by the edge of the barn. And uh, when Herman got there, he said, I, I guess he saw my figure. It, it caught his eye and he paused. And I didn't know what to do. So he said, so I just jumped out and went, ah! And he said, Herman just looked at me and then just keeled over and died. <laughs> he said, he said, he said, even he, his dad was like, what did you do to Herman? He's like, I did nothing. I just, I just yelled at him. He's like, you didn't just, he's like, no, it was a big yell, but I yelled. And uh, you know, he said, even later on, he said, years and decades later, you know, his dad's like 75, 80 years old and still was like, what, what did you do to Herman? You're going to tell me the truth? He's like, this is the truth. He just got scared to death. 
And as, he, uh, as Ken Davis points out, he says, that's, that's how sheep are. He says, when you, when you see us referred to as sheep in the Bible, it's not a noble thing. <laughs> easily lost, easily scared, not very smart. They don't even run right. And yet, in the midst of this, it's not about the sheep, is it? It's about, it's about Jesus. It's about uh, the shepherd. Some scripture introductions to give us a framework for this, and you can put this uh, uh, in your notes. Um, this is the seventh discourse that John records. Remember, John's goal, John's, the way John crafts his gospel is not, uh, is not you know, just completely uh, a timeline. He, as he says at the very end of John, says, listen, I have written these things. There's many other things Jesus didn't said, John says. But I've written you these things that you might believe that Jesus is the the Christ and by believing you might have life in his name. So this is the seventh discourse. This is the last public address of Jesus that John records in in the Gospel of John. And as you see at the very beginning of John chapter 10, it seems like we went from the blind man. He's talking to, in uh, the end of, of John 9, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees who said, are we also blind? And he says, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. Now that you say we see, your guilt remains. And then right away, it just says in verse 1, truly, truly, I say to you. So there, there is a connection here. Though there's a break in our Bibles Uh, When John's writing this gospel, there's a connection to John 9. This is just a continuation of Jesus addressing the things that took place in John chapter 9 with the blind man receiving his sight. And as you see in verse 6 of John 10, as always, while Jesus is speaking about things that they would know about, shepherd and sheep and gates and all of that, Jesus is trying to get across a spiritual point here. That's That's his intent. Let's begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 10, and we'll read through verse uh, 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said again to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. 
For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? There's a few things I want us to see here, three things specifically, and kind of divide it up. Really just, it's, it's real clear here. There's no, nobody disagrees about how this section of Scripture is divided up. In verses uh, 1 through 6, we just see the story that Jesus tells. He's giving an illustration, as it says in verse 6. This is a figure of speech that he's giving. And the reason he's doing this is because they would understand this. Well, for us, you know, unless you grew up in a farm like Ken Davis and had sheep around, uh, you, just, you just wouldn't understand this. But for, for you know, first century Palestine, everybody there understood shepherds and sheep. They understood what he was talking about in regards to the illustration. They may not have understood why he was giving that illustration until he explains it later, but they clearly understood that. Again, if Jesus were here now in East Memphis, uh, you know, in 2023, there would be a different illustration Jesus would give. He was connecting to what they knew, what they truly understood. And what they understood, as Jesus was talking about this, is that there'd be these, these big pens, and at night, the shepherds who had different flocks, so a different shepherd, different, he'd bring in his flock, and they would pay this gatekeeper to guard it. They would bring their, their sheep into the pen, and this gatekeeper, it was his job to just guard and protect the gate from any thieves and robbers that would come in. And then in the morning, the different shepherds would come and they would, they would come there. The gatekeeper would let them in because they, the sh- they were one of the shepherds. And they would know their sheep. They would, they would recognize and they, the first century Palestine. In fact, if you go over to Palestine right now and you come across any of the Bedouins who work with, with sheep, it's astounding. They actually do have names for their sheep. They can recognize, they can look at a flock and they can say, those ones are mine. Like they can recognize them. And the sheep, because they're scared and easily lost and all that, they want to be near their shepherd. If you and I went and talked to them and said, come out, they would scatter. Their shepherd comes and they know his voice and they move right towards him. And so though, though there'd be many in there, the shepherd would be able to call out his and they would go out. And so this illustration, this picture was something that these, these people clearly understood. And so Jesus begins by talking about a shepherd. Again, he's not talking about himself yet. He's talking, he's giving the illustration. And he's saying, hey, the shepherd, the shepherd knows his sheep, his own. He would be able to recognize, like I said, if you met a, a shepherd even, even nowadays over in the Middle East and that you'd be astounded by how they would just know, hey, that one, that one, that one, that one, that one, they're mine. I can tell. So he knows the sheep, and they know who is his own. He calls them by name. And again, even now, over in the Middle East, uh, you often find shepherds who have names for their sheep. Maybe not as ridiculous as Herman, but they have a name. And they know this one's, this one's named this, this one's named this. And, and, and the sheep know his voice, know the shepherd's voice. So he's saying, Jesus is saying, hey, you know, you understand when you look at a shepherd that a shepherd knows his own sheep, even if it's a, even if in that fold they're sheep from another shepherd, he knows which ones are his. And not only that, he calls them by name. 
and they follow him. And not only that, you know that he leads them. Like when, wherever he goes, they want to go with him. Anybody else comes in, they scatter. And then he goes on to say, and let's talk about everybody else, all the others. <laughs> he goes, all the others who would ever attempt to come in there and take a sheep that is yours, those are just th thieves and robbers. That's be the only reason. In fact, the only reason they would not come through the gate was because they were going to destroy or steal. Right? They, they, you, you, you hop over the fence because you're not going to be let in through the gate. And so Jesus says, you know this picture. You understand this. And then he goes on and he talks about himself. He makes the illustration. He makes the connection to himself because that was his intent all along. And he says two things about himself. The first, of all, first thing he says is, I am the door. He's talked about the door. He's like, you know the door. The only way in and out. I am the door. In fact, I want you to notice he's saying, I am the door. I am the door. I'm not a door. There's an exclusivity in what Jesus is saying. When we get to the shepherd part, he's saying, I am the good shepherd. There's an exclusivity to it. I'm not a way. I'm the way. I'm the door into this. And he says this about the door. He describes himself and he uses this illustration. And he says, first of all, this door, this way in and out is a way to salvation. That's what I'm trying to tell you. I, Jesus, am the way, the only way, the only way in and out. I'm the door to salvation. There's no other way to be saved except by my name. And even, you know, even in every century and in every place and every time, people, humans have tried to, to, uh, to, to blend, either blend the religion of uh, other religions and Christianity in such a way that we want to say that, yes, there's many ways to God. You know, and these people have a way, and these people have a way, and these people way, have a way. And even Christians, even Christian leaders have, have tried, to, tried to piece that together. Oh, there's got to be many ways to God. There, the sincerity of these other religions has got to count for something. And so maybe that's just another way for them to understand Jesus or another way for them to understand God. But that would completely ignore the very words that Jesus said. Jesus made it very clear that he is the exclusive way to salvation. No one is saved except through the name of Jesus Christ. And we'll find out later that even those who may maybe uh, believe and count as part of their religion, part of Scripture, sometimes we think, oh, they're halfway there. They're halfway to Jesus. They're not. <laughs> that's, not the way, that's not the way Jesus describes it. And we'll see that later at the end of this passage. He is the salvation. He is the security. See that in, in verse uh, 9, the second half of verse 9. He says, I am the door, beginning. If anyone enters me, he will be saved, that's salvation, and will go in and out and find pasture. So in the same way that these sheep experience security by going in and out and finding pasture, finding provision for themselves and being guarded at night and being with the shepherd. In that same way, I, the door, am your security. And it isn't interesting, you can see this now as the illustration kind of unfolds itself, the security of the sheep is not based 
on the strength or the height of the walls. It's based on the proximity to the shepherd. They're not secure because of the, the, the gated community of the pen. They're secure by how close they are to the shepherd. That's where security is found. Man, that's a good word for us now these days, isn't it? My safety, my safety, my security is not, honestly, it's not in where I live. Some people are saying, well, I gotta get out of Memphis. I can't live here. And then every day we see on the national news all kinds of crime happening in big cities and in small towns all across America, all across the world. Oh, well, I've got to have this kind of, you know, if I get this kind of a alarm system, if I get this, and I'm not against those things. I have an alarm system at home. But at the end of the day, <clears throat> with my alarm system, my locks, all that, if you want to get into the Erickson house and do some damage, you can. Right? If you want to get into your house and do some damage, you can. Our security is not based on the protections we put up. Our security in this life is based on our proximity to the shepherd. Or as one person put it a long time ago, the safest place for you and your family is in the will of God. The safest place, regardless, and if the will of God is for you and your family to be in Bangladesh or India or in Memphis, Tennessee in 2023, if that's the will of God, that is the safest place for you and your family. Proximity to the shepherd. He's our security. And, man, I love verse 10. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. And there's a lot of uh, background to that, why that's such a special verse to me. <clears throat> but here Jesus says, The thief, everybody else, all others, all other religions, all other leaders, they only come to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life, and have it to the full, have it abundantly. And ultimately, that has to do with eternal life. Now, we're getting, taste, we're getting a taste of it now. The proximity of the shepherd, proximity that we have to the shepherd gives us a taste of heaven. There's different, the fellowship that you might enjoy with some of these brothers here, when it's really sweet to you, when you really feel like loved and connected, and you're grateful for that. And that's just a taste of the abundant life that's waiting for us in heaven. If you happen to, 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 to get the, the blessing of sitting around a, a table on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day with family and friends, and it's not, it's not tense, and there's not fractures. Instead, it's, it's sweet, and there's family that love each other, and you feel that sense of, man, this, is, this feels so good on Christmas Day to be sitting here and eating this food and with these people. You know what it is? It's just a taste. It's just a little taste of what it's going to be like in heaven, a small taste of that abundant life. And the shepherd, the door, the door is that way. Jesus is the door to that. Isn't it interesting that there's so many voices these days that want to be our door, even claim to be our door? I may have noticed this, well, I won't, I won't use names. <laughs> but even this past week, two, two politicians, two very famous politicians, basically claiming to be the door to security and salvation for Christians. Maybe not salvation from sin, but, you know, salvation from what our fears are. I mean, two politicians literally claiming to Christians, using biblical language and claiming that they themselves are the door. 
That's where, that's where, again, we can talk about some other country and how they mess things up. But in our country, man, we have wrongly meshed the Christian faith with uh, American citizenship as if somehow those two things could go together. (laughs) Um, And in that, you turn around and have politicians claiming to be the door for us. Oh, I'm going to. I'm going to be the one. I'm the one that can make it right for you Christians. Oh, baloney. No, you can't. You're not the door. Jesus is the door. We don't, we don't, need, we don't need you. <laughs> we need proximity to the shepherd is what we need. I need to get closer to Jesus. I don't, I don't need to. You can't be my door. You can't be my Moses. I'm sure you heard that one guy claiming to to be like Moses, I'm like, oh, brother, you are not like Moses. <laughs> and you're not my Moses. And you're not, it's not your Moses. Jesus is the door. And then Jesus goes on. It says, using the illustration, he goes further in verse 18, or excuse me, verse 11, and he says, I am the good shepherd. I'm not a shepherd. I'm exclusively the shepherd. He says good shepherd. There's two words in the Greek that are, that are translated in our Bibles for good. One of them is just like being the difference between good and bad. You know, like, oh, this, isn't, this is not a good apple. I mean, uh, this is a bad apple, but this is a good apple. You know, this one's good to eat. And then there's another word that's translated good that means, means noble. It's more than just the difference between good and ma- bad. It means something really worthy and noble. That's the word that's used here by by uh, in, in the, in the uh, Gospel of John, the word noble. So when he says, I am the good shepherd, I am the noble shepherd, I am the ultimate shepherd. And then he goes on to say something first. He says four things, but the first thing he says is not what they expected to hear. It would be the last thing these people would have expected to hear. When he says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, that's where the illustration for them went a little sideways because they knew shepherds cared for sheep. They knew shepherds knew them by name. They knew shepherds uh, um, were able to recognize the sheep. But see, a shepherd thought, hey, my job is to live for the sheep. My job is to make sure I stay alive to protect the sheep. No shepherd is like, oh, I'm going to lay down my life for the sheep. So when Jesus says that, they were maybe cruising along, and all of a sudden they would have gone, whoa, whoa, what's going on with that? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And Jesus is going to say this several times. Hey, I'm, I'm the door, I'm the salvation, and you're going to understand I'm actually the shepherd who would, who would give up his life for sheep, which again, for them, crazy. A lot of us, who didn't, if you didn't grow up on a farm with sheep, the only probably thing you heard about sheep was how we're described as sheep. You're like, oh, that's beautiful. They'd have been like, what is that? Lay down your life for sheep? And Jesus is saying, yes. That's what a good, the noble shepherd does. He says some other things about being the good shepherd. He says, the good shepherd knows his sheep intimately. And then notice in verse 14 and 15 how he describes this intimacy. This is astounding, brothers. He says in verse 
14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. And then verse 15, just as the father knows me and I know the father. Think about that for a second. Jesus just said about his sheep, about us, I know them and they know me just as I know the Father and the Father knows me. Jesus is saying, if you get this right, the intimacy that I am going to have with my own, with you, is going to be like the intimacy that I have with my Father. That in the, in the Trinity, that relationship, I'm going to work that relationship in my own, in my own sheep. We see that played out in the, in the epistles later on when Paul over and over again helps us understand this, this, this term, this idea of Christ in you. Being united to Christ. And over and over again, you see it in Colossians, you see it in Ephesians. Paul uses the term in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. In fact, he describes Christians in Corinthians. He doesn't call them believers. He doesn't call them, he doesn't call them followers of Christ, believers in Christ. He says, this is how he describes Christians. Those in Christ. That's the description that Paul uses consistently of what defines a Christian. Those in Christ, in that intimacy. And again, it's a, it's, it's a mysterious thing. It's hard for us to, to even, even grasp at certain places that you, through the, through the indwelling, indwelling Holy Spirit, through the work that was done on the cross, if you put your faith in Christ, you have been united to Christ. United to Him. And so we can sing... Like we do sometimes, the hymn, that line that says, One with himself, one with Christ, I cannot die. My life is hid with him on high. You are united to Christ. It's why, it's why there's never a time when uh, you know, you're tempted to sin, you're tempted to, to be involved in something, do something that you just as soon... Christ not know about or hope he doesn't see and you kind of want to separate yourself you know just like you we separate ourselves from other people that might make us feel guilty about what we're about to do or what we're you know kind of get some distance wonderfully you and I can't get distance from Jesus <laughs> so he's there because he dwells in us we're united to Christ and he says, this intimacy that I have with the Father, it's the intimacy I'm going to have with my own. That's what I do. I am the good shepherd who knows his sheep intimately. Then in verse 16, I am the good shepherd who unites his flock. It's funny, some, uh, some people have really taken what is, seems pretty simple in verse 16 and have made it weird, like, is he talking about aliens from another planet? Are there, is there other places in the universe that God has gone and and saved people. Is that what he's talking about? Is he? No, this is, it's really simple, brothers. <laughs> he's saying, hey, it's going to be more than the Jewish people. This is going to be, a, Jesus is saying, this is going to be a worldwide religion that's going to transcend all cultures, 
is one of the most it's one of the, the most significant apologetics for Christ, the Christian faith. Even the other great world religions requires a cultural adaptation in order to fully be in order to fully be Muslim, you have to culturally adapt. In order to be fully Jewish, you need to culturally adapt. Instead, Christianity transcends all cultures. And yes, the core of every place you find Christians is God's word and his church and the very, the very anchors of truth that we find in scripture. And yet you see it expressed culturally in so many different ways. You go, how is that possible? Well, it's because it's not a man-made religion. <laughs> if it were a man-made religion, it would have to stick to the cultural norms. So Jesus here is proclaiming, hey, listen, I am going to unite my flock, and I love this. Look at verse 16 at the very end. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. One flock and one shepherd. And then he says, verse 17 and 18, I'm the good shepherd, and I have authority and power over everything. I can lay, I lay down my life. It's, nobody takes my life. I lay down my life for the sheep. And when I want to take it up again, I can take it up again. You want to see this displayed just wonderfully. Turn in your Bibles back to the book of Matthew and turn to Matthew 26. This is that great moment in the Garden of Gethsemane. <clears throat> Jesus has prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, verses 36 through uh, <clears throat> 46. And, uh, you know, his disciples are falling asleep and all of that. And then you pick up in uh, Matthew chapter 26 at verse 47. <clears throat> while Jesus is speaking to his disciples, verse 47, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests, and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign. Judas had said, the one I kiss, this is the man, sees him. And Judas came to Jesus at once and said, greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. And they came up and they laid hands on Jesus to seize him. And behold, one of them who were with Jesus, that's Peter, you know, Mr. I got a plan, or no, usually it's more like, uh, let me act out, and then we'll see if I have a plan. He says, uh, stretched out his hand, drew his sword, and struck the servant of the high priest, and cut off his ear. And just so we're clear, we've talked about this before, it's not, it's not because Peter was pre a, a precise swordsman. It was not precision. He wasn't like, hey, watch this. I'm just going to slice your ear off and warn you. No, he missed. Peter missed. He was trying to, he was trying to take this guy out, and he just, he just got to his ear. Cut off his ear. Verse 52. Look at this. 52 and 53. This is where I want to get to. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back in its place, for all who take the sword will cherish, perish by the sword. Do you not think that I can appeal to my Father, and he will at once send more than 12 legions of angels? But then how should scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Right there in Gethsemane. Jesus says, Peter, put the sword away. Some of the other disciples are probably like, dude, where'd you get a sword? Like, <laughs> put the sword away. Don't you know, right now, I could appeal to my father and he would send 12 legions of angels. A legion, 
with 6,000 men. Jesus was saying, I can have 72,000 angels here right now. This isn't, this, isn't, this isn't the power that they have, the power that I have. And I'm laying down my life. I have all authority and power. I know what I'm doing. I wonder what it was like for them. We'll, we'll find out later that uh, when Jesus spoke, they actually fell back. I wonder if they understood and were a little bit terrified about what they were doing because of the power that they sensed existed in Jesus. And here he is saying, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life. I know my sheep intimately like, the, like I do the Father. I'm bringing this to a worldwide thing, not just to the Jews. And I have a power and authority over everything. This is what I'm doing. I lay it down. I pick it up. And ultimately what Jesus is saying here is only Jesus, only I, can be your shepherd. Only Jesus can be your door to salvation, security, and life. That's it. When you think about what Jesus said and how he said it, and, and how not only the miracles he performed, but the teachings he gave, and the way he spoke, and the way he, he took this illustration and then would say something as crazy and radical as I lay down my life for the sheep, which they would have gone, who does that? Nobody, no shepherd does that. And then speaks about the power and authority that he has. You recognize that what we're seeing here in Scripture, what we're seeing here in John, is actual history, the very record that Jesus is the, like John said, that Jesus is the Christ. He is the, the Son of God. This is clear, and I love what one writer said. He said, no, no human could invent Jesus. No human would think, think this. And he says this, only a Jesus could invent a Jesus. <laughs> only a Jesus could invent a Jesus. And that's John's point. Only Jesus can be your shepherd. Only Jesus can be your door. So what happens? Well, the same thing that happened in the last chapter. Jesus brings division. And he's, and he's meaning to. He's meaning to. Like we read uh, the, the prophecy about, uh, the, the, prof uh, the prophecy that Zechariah makes in the Matthew chapter, chapter 2, <clears throat> when Jesus is brought to the temple, and he says, this one, this child, he says to Mary and Joseph, will be, will be the rising and the fall of many in Jerusalem, in Israel. This child will be a dividing line. And Jesus means that. Now they, they decide and think, is he demon or is he divine? You know, it's, it seems he's a demon. Let's not believe in him. And they're like, this doesn't seem like a demon. And here's the point. <clears throat> There's no middle ground with Jesus. And you guys know this. It's one of my favorite preachers says, <clears throat> Jesus is either a madman, a bad man, or a God man. There's no, there's no middle man on this thing. You can't appreciate the teachings of Jesus. That's silly. That's intellectually irresponsible. 
you can't appreciate the teachings of Jesus, you either believe that he is the Christ or, or you're not making sense. Because Jesus claims not to be a good teacher. Jesus claims not to just be a great philosophy of life. He claims to be the door. He claims to be the good shepherd. And Jesus, the real Jesus, the real Jesus of the Bible does not allow for a middle ground. He just doesn't. You either believe that he is the son of God or you might as well believe he's a nutcase or a demon because the Jesus of the Bible provides no place for that. I thought a lot about how we would want to end this semester and even uh, in, in John before we go into the next and even end today. And this, this picture of Jesus being the shepherd, I had you all read Ezekiel 34 and uh, read Psalm 23. It's meant, to, it's meant to provide for us a peace and a security like no other, supernaturally. That's what Jesus is saying. I am the good shepherd and I am your shepherd. So brothers, this is how I want, to, I want to end today. I want to read over you from Psalm 23. And I want you just to, if you, if you need to close your eyes while I read it, close your eyes. I, I know we're all got, we got stuff to do, you know. In 13 minutes, we can walk out of here, we're going to hit the day. But let's just pause. Let's just pause in our hearts and our minds right now. Set aside whatever that list is. And again, if you want to look at the words up here on the screen, or you just want to close your eyes and hear, hear this as, as the word of God for us this morning. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the very presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Heavenly Father, it is true. You are our shepherd and we shall not want. Oh, Lord, we just need to say that. Help us even today 
to say it over and over again. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. In the craziness of our schedules, even today, remind us that you are the good shepherd, our shepherd, and we shall not want. That you are our salvation, our security, our eternal life. That you have laid down your life for us. That you know us intimately. That we are united to you. One flock, one shepherd. That you have power and authority over all things. Every evil, every struggle, every pain, every bit of suffering we experience You have power and authority over it all. And the greatest place of safety for us is to be closer to you. Oh, Father, help us. Help us to draw closer to you. To say right by your side, to walk, to walk after you, to keep our eyes on you to listen for your voice that we might not get lost, that we might not be easily scared. Father, we pray all of these things in the matchless name of our shepherd, our good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen.